Paul Ruse here from Performance by Design and welcome to the Culture Couch with my normal partner in crime, Gerard Murphy. G'day, Murph. Fair easy, how are you? And our guest today, I'm, I'm well, thanks for asking no, for change. Yeah. Good, I'm glad. <laughs> I need to change that up, don't I? Um, now, our guest today is Bianca Chatfield. So, a morning to Peninsula girl, I found that out, uh, but what a resume. So, the first exposure to the Australian team was the under-21s against Jamaica, then the Diamonds at 18 years of age, 59 caps, an extraordinary Melbourne Phoenix, 2000 Premiers mm-hmm. at 16 years of age, 2002, 2003, 2005, and then the Vixens, 2008 to 15, but Premiers in 2009, 2014. Gold medal at the Commonwealth Games in 14 and 6. Silver medal year. in 6. What was it? Silver medal in 06. Silver medal in 06. Yeah. Well, I got the silver too. Okay. We were, you were unlucky. I was unlucky at the Swans. You were unlucky there, <laughs> Murph. So right. there's, a, there's something Double we've got two. in common. And 207 World Championship well as writing a book, going on the block, and doing a lot of media work. So great to have you. Good resume. (laughs) Thanks very much. Well researched. I like that you got most of that right. Good old Wikipedia. Wikipedia, we talked about that. Who does Wikipedia? I think anyone can jump on Wikipedia. Because sometimes I hear when people introduce you, they'll say, oh, you played 42 games for Australia, or you'll play 55 or whatever, and there's just all these different numbers, but 59 I'm happy to confirm. Okay, excellent. Yep. It took me a while to get there too. Now, one, of the, one of the things that is consistent I want to touch on first, you were a, a high achiever early. That would be fair to say. So how take us back to when you were really young, like eight, nine, ten years of age. Did, mm. did you sense or did your family sense that you were going to get to some high level of performance that you eventually did? Yeah, that's a tricky one because my parents were always just – get outside and be active. So growing up down the peninsula, you're just constantly outside. And so basketball was my main sport that I played. I also tried to be a gymnast, which I mean, (laughs) seeing how tall I've ended up, that was never ever gonna work. Um, And so for me, I think playing netball and basketball, I loved the team sport part of it. Mm. But to be honest, I think being a tall girl, so I'm six foot two now, but being a tall girl and way back then, I think it was the only place I actually really felt comfortable about myself and confident and started to build my own self-esteem was when I was out there on the court, I actually felt like my height finally was an asset for something and I wasn't constantly wishing I was like everybody else. And um, so, yeah, I don't. I just played for the fun of it, definitely. Mm. And my parents certainly didn't, none of us ever thought that we could take it somewhere. Um, but probably a huge driver for me was I had an older sister. I've got two sisters, right. but my older sister played and I could see her climbing the ranks. Right. And so yeah, I think okay. it's an advantage being mm. the second sibling in the family because I could watch her. I, she was a very emotional player. She was a shooter. I was a defender. So I would watch her get quite emotional about her performances and I would watch her, you know, even get upset and mum and dad would be looking after her after a game. Oh, it's okay, you know, try harder next Mm. time. Whereas I'd be like, come on, it's not that hard. (laughs) Like, you know, I just had this real... I'm sure she'd love to hear that too. (laughs) And and I used to hear her get all these accolades when she first like made a junior state team and I'd be like, right, if she can do it, I can do it, you know? So I feel like having her as well kind of guiding me through it all. Um, But, yeah, I was super competitive. Um, I had that streak in me that as soon as I was on on the court, it was that white line fever. I was like, right, I want the ball. So, obviously, your sister was one of them, but early role models or leaders that that I guess once you got into your teens, because you started, I mean, you might have premiership at 16, so it was fairly early. Yeah. But do you remember some of the other people that may have drove you early or some of your coaches or role models? 
Um, I think when I reflect on it now, definitely my sister, um, but I just had coaches that I felt believed in me. Mm. You know, I, yes, I wanted to learn. I was a bit like a sponge. I'd yeah. ask so many questions. Um, but I remember a, a junior rep team I was in and there was a coach in particular that would always explain things to me. So I've said this to you, this is why I need you to do this. And she really stripped it back for me rather yeah. than just telling me why I needed to do something. And that was the key for me was that I felt like she put so much effort into me that I w didn't want to let her down. Mm. And then when I walked into the Melbourne Phoenix team, I only got an opportunity as a 16 year old because one of the girls fell pregnant. She played my position. They couldn't recruit anyone else yep. except me. And, you know, so I was thrown in there and Joyce Brown was the coach of the team and she had already coached Australia. She was on her yep. way kind mm. of into retirement. Coached the team. I was doing year 11 and 12 at school. She completely made me understand how a coach is more than just there about your performance on the court, about who are, who are mm. you, what do you do outside of sport, how can we help you, how can I support you in that? And she was netball, you can't earn necessarily a huge amount of money and she was just at me the whole time that your education is so important, I will give you the time and space to do that. Um, but I expect you obviously to perform mm. on the court as well. Um, and I just had a really good bunch of leaders. So Aloise Southby was in that Melbourne Phoenix okay. team, Sherelle yeah. McMahon, Liz Boniello, mm. these players who all had already started their Australian careers and they just cared for me. And that really stood out to me um, because you didn't always have that in teams. You didn't have older players that would necessarily care for you. But this Melbourne Phoenix team was like a family, a second family to me. And I think definitely I learned a lot from being around those girls. And I always talk about cultures, what you see. It's not necessarily what's on the wall. So some of the things you've already mentioned, but as a, as a young girl, what, what were some of the things you were seeing that was going, wow, it's pretty cool, or I didn't expect yeah. that, or, or that's a bit hard. What were some of the things you saw when you first arrived? I remember being so concerned about catching the ball. That was the, the one, you know, they would <laughs> held the ball at you and I'd be like, oh, I just need to make sure this stays in my hands. And one thing that I would watch those girls do is they would keep themselves accountable. Yep. So Joyce right. Brown being the coach would set a certain standard. But if one of the players drops the ball and say, mm. you know, Joyce wasn't looking, rather than just go on with it and go, yep. oh, yes, we got away with it, that girls would actually stop the team and go, no, we're doing sprints for dropping the ball. So I would watch them take accountability yep. and actually, you know, bring the group along. Mm. And I think that was something that really stood out early days. They also worked really hard, but as soon as they were off the court, they would muck around, they would laugh, they would have a great time, but they could just switch it back on. Yep. And as a young girl, quite immature too, I, I didn't understand how you could mm. do that, how you could go yeah, from laughing right. and joking, mm. then I'd go back to warm up and then I'd be like, ah, and they're like, shut up. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, you could yeah, see yeah. that they knew that was the professional way mm. is as soon as you're on that court, then you actually need to perform and, and train hard. And, um, and I also like the fact that they trained as if they were playing. So yeah. just because I was young, they would tr absolutely school me on that court unless I actually mm. stepped up. So yeah. they wouldn't try and help me. They wouldn't try and like let me get away with it just because it's training. They would go, no, you've got to match us. Like you've got to match us with speed and pace and skill and, and off the court, if I needed help or I was struggling, they'd also take time after training to go, okay, mm. Bianca, let's get you out there on court. Let's teach you what we were talking about then or let's kind of go through it slower for you. Um, yeah, so it's, it was the effort I think that they put in in so many different areas of their life. 
what a fantastic environment to walk into as a as a sixteen year old. And then and then you win um, the title or the premiership that year. Like, how good's life? Like from from yes. that point, like, <laughs> you've walked in. Amazing people, amazing players. One, what's next? Yeah. Well, that's right. And and I remember starting that grand final off. Um, uh, I was on the bench to start with, and I came on at half time and. Like the older players, they didn't even really say anything to me when I stepped on during that grand final. I remember the other defender just going, and I was like, oh, what does that mean? You know, I'd never played in so many, in front of so many people. Um, but it was just like, you're right, you've done it, you've yeah. got this. And um, and that was definitely my stepping stone into making the Australian team so young too, because that core group of girls that were so successful in Melbourne Phoenix were also in the Australian yeah. team. Yeah. So. Yeah. As you learn that being part of a winning team is actually much better for your own individual yeah. success going on than when you're not a part of, yeah. you know, when you're just trying to fight for your own success out there. So, yeah, from that, that's when I kind of got taken along for the ride with them with these other successful combinations, um, made the Aussie team at 18. Um, but then I feel once I got into the Aussie team, then I realised the roller coaster ride you go on as an athlete. I kind of got up there yeah. and then it was like a rocky road for me and, you know, tough at times and great at other times. But, yeah, I probably didn't learn as much about myself until I actually hit the rocky part. Yeah. So going, so you've gone to um, Phoenix, which you said is a great environment. Take us in the environment you walked into in Australia, because I believe it was was quite different. Yeah, it was different. So my first tour, we were over in England. So for three weeks over there, and there was four girls from the Phoenix team that were with me. So again, that was my little safe, happy place. Um, We were then, the Australian team was a team that was so successful. Mm. They had a starting seven on the court and the five girls on the bench and very little did that change. So... The, the girls who were in the starting seven had been in there for a good chunk of time. Yeah. They'd won com games, they'd won world champs, they'd done everything. Yeah. And so it was much a culture of the, as the older players would start to retire, then eventually the bench players would then get a go. Yeah. And so I came into that environment and it was pretty much the older girls did their own thing. They didn't go out of their way to make sure everyone was feeling comfortable yeah. or okay. Or you know, I just remember being so intimidated by the older players in that team. And they were from other states, so I didn't really know them. Um, and walking away from that first experience, you know, playing my first test match, but walking away thinking, oh, my Melbourne team, I felt so so much love and like I belonged, mm. but this Aussie team, everyone's so set in their ways, no one even looks to see if you're okay. Or, and it's not like you wanted, you know, people just to fuss over you. Yeah. You just wanted to feel like you belonged. And There's a great saying, wall, um, success wallpapers over a lot of cracks. Did you feel that? Mm. Did you feel like because they were so successful, I'm going to ask you about that success because it creates pressure. Yeah. But did you feel like that? You feel like maybe they were so so successful that not so much they didn't try on their culture, but it just didn't. They didn't really need to. No, exactly that. That was they just had the players, and if those players were all fine, they were fortunate too. They didn't have many injuries with their top seven. They just could keep ticking along, and they would beat everybody. Mm. Um, so you're right, they didn't have to put the effort in at that stage. And it wasn't until a few of those players had started to retire, there was a whole new breed of players that came through. That's when culturally, I believe, mm. we were challenged the most. Yep. Um, new coaches were coming in. It was like, okay, you know, where do you all stand? And none of us really knew because we never okay. had to make any decisions. We just went along with whatever everybody else was doing. So, 
yeah, that's probably where it was, is just as challenging, but also probably more rewarding for me too, personally, was once I was into the Australian team and, and had quite a few years in there, then we started to cement what our culture looked like and, and how important that was to us. I think um, <clears throat> you raised a couple of really good points. Ed. The first one, going back to your first answer, was about the, the coaches that make you believe in yourself. I think that's really important. Mm. Good leaders um, help young people believe in themselves. And then the second one's that, that belonging. So you felt like you belonged mm. in the Phoenix. You go to the Australian team, which should be the pinnacle, yeah. but you actually don't feel like you belong. So the importance of belonging as part of a good team and a good culture? Yeah, uh, yes, I think it's super, super important. Um, but I think there's this kind of balance between um, earning respect in a yeah. team as well. So for me, I wanted to feel like I belonged, but I wanted to feel like my effort counted yeah. and it, you know, every ball that I chased down made a difference. Yeah. And because you know, you'd watch people do that and if you, you would want people to then, uh, you know, the younger girls in the team to then go, okay, well, that's the standard we set. We all do that. Um, so, yeah, I think belonging is important, but I really liked how in my Phoenix side with Joyce Brown and the older girls, that they were tough on you too. It yeah. wasn't just all nice yeah, and happy yeah. days. They yeah. were really yeah. tough, um, but you respected them for that. You yeah. never, ever kind of got annoyed at them. You're sure sometimes you, your pride takes a bit of a hit, but... You would respected that they were tough, but if you actually did and tried your hardest, then they'd go, great, thanks, that's all you had to do. You didn't actually have to go out there and have your best game ever. We, we often talk about the paradox of high mm. performance where it's really harsh, the environment's really harsh, but mm. at the same time, it's really caring. So people really care about each other, but they'll drive each other to almost craziness yes. with honesty and pressure. So it, that's fantastic. Yeah, and I think, Picking the players too that have hard conversations with you at different times or when the coach does compared to the captain and there was just a really nice balance and whereas at the Aussie level it was very much you, most of your communication was through the coach yeah. and the captain would do bits and pieces but it wasn't like a big whole team working and functioning together. How difficult was that for the Phoenix girls then? Like it must have been very challenging because I think you mentioned the names, which are yeah. obviously household names in sport in Australia, but you had some great names playing for Phoenix, playing for Australia. Yeah. How was it for that group of four or five girls within that system? Well, I think, so I would have been well and truly the youngest at 18 yeah. in that first tour, but it was also my first experience. So it was probably how I was seeing everything yeah. and my yeah. perspective. Whereas a lot of those girls had been around for a long time. So right. they were sort of used to it and yeah. it wasn't so much of a shock to their system. They often say to me, like, I had such a good environment in Melbourne. A lot of them didn't get that necessarily yeah. when they were starting off in the right. Aussie team. Yep. So it was just really my perspective. Um, and you just also, I don't know, there's something about when you play for Australia, you want it so much and you want to do it so much that you just put up with it and you would never say anything or you would never question it. You yeah. just go, okay, that's what it is, great. You know, I just want well, to When you were playing. speaking to the girls about the Phoenix girls, yeah. what were they saying to you at the time? Or, or were you still a bit too young to even challenge yeah, them in that I environment? I don't think I actually challenged them. I have since, like as yeah. I've gotten older. No, definitely. Um, but yeah, mo majority of those girls that were setting the standards that were quite tough, they had grown up with too. So they just knew that's how they were. Yeah. Not, that they, not that they accepted it, but I think they tried as hard as they could to change it. But you're also power of numbers too sometimes, that you are outnumbered and mm. <laughs> a lot of the older girls had taken over yeah. and off they went. Why the numbers? Yeah. 
You take us through the transition then, because you touched on it before, of, of then when it started to change more from a, let's call it a talent base, that's what I call it, yeah. more away from a, from a talent-based system to a behavioural-based system. Yep. Um, because there's so much pressure on the Australian netball team. Yeah. I mean, it's probably, I'm trying to think of a number of our other teams, Murph, that really our expectation is they win and that's it. Yes. So it's a huge expectation. So having been through a successful period and then trying to transition into this more behavioural-based system, take us inside those conversations. Yeah, so um, probably the core group. So um, Liz Ellis was always in my position. So she's a very well-known netballer, yeah. Yeah. Um, both in the media and on the court. But she was so good at her position, she eventually came became captain. And so mm. I, would, I reckon I would have spent about 50% of my Australian career on the bench yep. behind Liz. So yep. just doing my time, occasionally you play against the weaker countries. Yep. Um, but I had a lot of time there where I could just watch and see how things were going. And Liz was very good at, at leading the team. Um, but as she started to retire, a whole lot of older girls retired too. So then it became all of these girls on the bench. Yep. All right, <laughs> it's your time, get yeah, out there. What are you gonna do? And that was when I think too, younger players in the team had different expectations mm. about what they needed. They needed to be, they needed more confidence put in them. They needed more positivity around this team. They wanted everyone to be friends and hang out and do all of that stuff. And we had not seen that before. Um, and so we sat back, sat down and we went through all of what behaviors that we expected. Mm. But the most confronting thing and the best thing that we did was that we went through the process of around how do we think people view us? Yeah. And there was quite a, um, we knew that there was a bit of an arrogance around the team. Mm. So, you know, the confidence versus arrogance. arrogance and yeah. Yeah. there was a bit of arrogance around the team. And so this whole new group of girls were like, well, we actually don't want to be seen like that. Mm. You know, we want to actually, that was how the, the other team performed and they were so successful, but we haven't earned our stripes yet. So we wanted to kind of strip it right back and, and, you, you, you always have players in a team. You have, you know, the ones there that always do the right thing and always say the right thing and always do the, you know, what they need to do. And you have this middle group who can go either way. Mm. And you have a group who are just there for whatever reason, yeah. but it might be just for their own performance. Mm. And that's what I think I personally found the toughest was to, as I was becoming older and becoming more of a leader in the side, like where do you put your attention and your mm. focus? and Sometimes you get really frustrated by individuals that their behaviours wouldn't necessarily match what everyone had said. But it, I don't think we even realise then how much it's important it is to embrace people's unique, uniqueness as well and what yeah. they can bring and their yeah. quirkiness and yeah. how that kind of can bring a totally different vibe to a group. Um, so our behaviours were set, but they became flexible and adaptable and every year they would evolve. Yeah. And it became, and I think this is something that I was proud of, that no matter whether you were the oldest person in the group or the youngest person in the group, I, that's how I learned my leadership skills yeah, was yeah. I didn't want anyone come in and feel like they didn't belong. Mm. So that was kind of where I would put a lot of my effort Great. in teaching these young girls, okay, this is, this is who we are and this is our trademark and it's about respecting you know, the spirit of the Aussie team that's gone before us and making sure that we honour that but also that we make sure we leave this place in a better way and better shape than what we found mm. it. Um, and so Sisters in Arms became our trademark and that became about because we all thought the most powerful part of playing for Australia in your country was when you got to stand on the transverse line, mm. often facing New Zealand, and you sang the national anthem and all 12 of us and the support staff were all arm in arm going, no matter what happens next, like we've got mm. each other's back. And yeah, to me, that was one of the most powerful things that we kind of created uh, in the Diamonds in my time. And I think... More, we talk about process 
rather than outcome. And you're touching on it now. But, but as a super successful team, it must be so hard to, to keep sticking to the process because the yeah. expectations are so high. <clears throat> I touched on yeah. it before. How difficult was that? Not to just think, well, we're going to the Commonwealth Games, we're going to the World Championship. The only acceptable thing for us is winning yeah. and pulling it back to those behaviours you're talking about. Mm. It is tricky. And in, and in the world of netball, especially during the peak time I was in the Diamonds, the most competitive teams were usually New Zealand, Jamaica um, and England. Mm. And you never faced those teams until you got to the finals mm. usually. So you go into a major tournament like a Com Games and you've got the extra pressure that you don't want to be the first Australian team to either not win it or to not make mm. the final. Um, and so you'd spend the first couple of weeks where you wouldn't even really face anyone that was going to challenge you. Yep. Um, you might <laughs> occasionally come up against someone in the rounds, but you generally would get to the final. So you had to spend two weeks trying to practice all those little things that you knew were going to import, be important in two weeks' time, but they weren't necessarily going to win or lose you the game yeah. right now. Um, and that is really tough. Mm. And it's really tough to play a team. I remember playing Singapore at the Com Games in Melbourne and we needed to make sure we got a huge percentage. So we're playing against these girls, which would yeah, yeah. probably be, you know, like an under 21 <laughs> mm. level here. And, you know, we're rejecting their shots every yeah, time yeah, they put yeah, them yeah. up because they're so little. Oh. But we knew we had to keep ourselves accountable with the percentage that we need at the end of the and week. That, so. And that sort of conflicts a bit, sorry for interrupting, but that arrogance. So yes. you're displaying an arrogance that you didn't really want to display. So that must have been difficult. It was. And... And I guess how we then try and break it down then is just going back to like setting ourselves little like intentions or goals for say each area of the court where you would go, okay, this is what we want to do. This is what, how we want to end the game. This is what we want to make sure that we tick off. And yes, that can be stats in terms of intercepts or turnovers or whatever that might be, but also how we wanted to behave mm. during the games as well. You know, not looking at the umpires, even, you know, we've got umpires from Barbados who, you know, aren't used to umpiring at our speed. And so as a defender, it got quite frustrating. But <laughs> that was one of our things because as soon as you knew that you yep. turned to the umpire and gave them a look or mm. you know, and you just want to with all your soul because <laughs> you think it's going to change the outcome. But I knew as soon as you did that, you gave permission to everybody else in the team yep. that yep. they could also yep. do that. So, yeah, it w and it was about within our core group, so the defensive unit, it was about us picking each other up on it too. Yep. So the other defender during the game going, Bianca, I saw you look, yeah, like, yeah, don't yeah. look, don't look. And you're like, okay, yep, yep, yep. Like, you know, just those little yeah. reminders that the, the best teams I've been in, we were able to do that actually in the moment and yeah. not wait till quarter time to go, hey, stop rolling your eyes at yeah. the ump. Like, <laughs> little conversations all the time. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. even just little, we used to like, Nobody wants to win, right? We live a pretty great life. But we used to, when we were travelling, and we were I remember waiting for the opening ceremony for a Com Games, and you've got to wait sometimes four hours. Yeah. So standing around for four hours, and it's exhausting when you're an athlete because you're like, I've got to be at my peak performance, yeah, yeah, and I've yeah. got to, I don't want to be tiring out my legs by standing up all day. And and I just, we had this thing where we just said to each other, love it, love it. And it was a bit yeah. sarcastic, and it was being a smart ass to each other, yeah. but it was just our trigger to go pull your head yeah, out, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like mm. you can't be whinging about these kind of things in life when yeah. we have it pretty good and we're all pretty lucky to be here. Um, so there was a certain amount of a way that we keep everyone grateful for where we were. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that was pretty important, I think, for us too. And so you've had this amazing trajectory right up and then 2010, where you get dropped from- Gonski. Uh, yeah, Gonski. <laughs> so that would have been, um, a difficult but a really good learning time, I suspect. Oh, 
Yes. And isn't it funny how, you know, you're like, oh, in hindsight, that was the best thing that ever happened to yeah. me. But at the time, I think that was when I probably learnt the most about just your ego that you have and that I was so driven, I was so focused, I was so worried about myself and what would happen if I missed out on that. And, you know, I had my kind of goals that I wanted in my life. And, yeah, if you don't achieve it right then and there, then it's another four years mm. you've got to go through to try and tick off that gold medal at a Com Games. And... So yeah, I was dropped, and um, I think for the first couple of weeks for me, it was an eye opener. Remember the, the conversation around it? I do. So we, how we usually have our selections is we'll all fly to the AIS in Canberra, mm. and we spend about five days there training, strength testing, absolutely everything. By the end, you're mentally, physically exhausted, and it's a bit like <laughs> Survivor in a way, in that you go in yeah. and they read the team out in alphabetical order. Um, and this is where it was the toughest part because we didn't have necessarily welfare around us no. to look after us either. So I was in there, I'd been in the team for the six years prior. And not that I 100% thought I was going to be in the team, but I thought that I was good enough in the combination to be in the side. And so I, my name wasn't read out. And yes, I was in shock, but I remember the coach then met with all the players that had missed out. And at that stage, you are filthy. Mm. Like you are... You don't want to cry because you don't want to show weakness, but you uh, you don't want to say anything you regret either. Mm -hmm. So I just remember I hardly said anything and I was holding back all the tears. And the coach said to me, we'll give you more feedback later when you can take it on board. However, unfortunately, B, that's the way the cookie crumbles. And so whenever I hear that saying now, I'm like, ugh, gives me shivers. <laughs> like, that's the way the cookie yeah. crumbles? Like, are you joking? Yeah. Like, and so no, that's I, what I held on to. I think it's a really important conversation because we had Murph and I discussed in this week, and this is without being critical of the coaches, but mm. I would always have that conversation before the team was read out. Yeah. I would never have that conversation after the mm. team was read out. Yeah. What, what were your thoughts as a player? Or did it not matter to you when that conversation took place? Because I look at it through the eyes of a coach. Yeah. Yeah, look, to be honest, I'm even thinking back now and I, I don't even, I don't even remember what, how long after that even happened, yep. but it was definitely while I was in Canberra. Um, yeah, I, I think as a, a diamond, as an Australian netballer, I think when you've been in the team for a while, you don't want to be treated differently though because if there's other players in the team or in the squad that have missed out too, like they're still going through hard times as well. So I would hate to have found out necessarily beforehand if they're still finding out. No, I'm saying everyone situation. should. Oh, everyone, yes, yeah. everyone. 100% everyone should. Yeah. yeah, so not picking you out, but yes. I'm saying if it's, because it's, I wouldn't imagine it's an enormous amount of no. players. How many missed out? Uh, I reckon there would have been maybe eight of us and probably two of us who had been in the team for a while. Yes, there's eight conversations. It's not yeah. like there's 40 that have missed out. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, because I think it's an important part, Murph, of what we talk about is that communication and being honest and, if possible, doing it face-to-face. -face. Yes. And that's been one of the real challenges through this COVID period where there's so many non-face-to-face conversations. Uh, conversations. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But again, through your eyes, I I'm just wondering what your thoughts yeah. would have been. And we've yeah. had, we've debated a lot how is the best way to announce a team? When you know you're going to have disappointed yeah. players and we all live all around Australia, yeah. how, how is it? And so we've tried different ways over the years of where you just at 12 o'clock you've got to ring up the coach and you <laughs> and they say yes or no, yeah, you're yeah. in or out, but they never tell you who else is in the team. So then it's just yeah. a team full of girls who gossip are like, oh, did you make it? Did you make it? Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and that goes spreads like wildfire. Yeah. So I don't know the right way, but I think 
I always remember that saying, that's the way the cookie crumbled. So in that moment, mm. I just wanted something, some good feedback. So yeah. anyway, fast forward a little bit. I learned a lot. It taught me how important my inner circle was and yeah. the people that I was going to go to. And a little moment in time I had was flying back from Canberra that day. I just wanted to hide out. Like I didn't want to see mm. anybody. I knew I had about 24 hours before it was public knowledge. I got on my phone, I tweeted, <laughs> diamonds aren't really a girl's best friend or something like that because I thought I was being hilarious at the time and then clearly that's not like something yeah, I should yeah, be yeah. doing. Anyway, um, but you know, in those moments and I'd done that, got on the plane and in the plane I'd read um, the Herald Sun and I wrote an article for the Herald Sun at the time, a column, and so did Jason Nakamanis and he had just been dumped from the Bulldogs. Right. And I remember reading his column where he pretty much teed off at everybody mm. and anybody. But it was a perfect thing for me to read at yes. that time because yeah, yeah, yeah. I then mm. got off the plane and I was like, okay, yep. you need to rein it in, bring it in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, don't say anything until you're ready to. Like, allow yourself to go. And I just went back to the peninsula. My sister picked me up from the airport, went back to the peninsula, and I just locked myself away mm. until I started to then feel okay yeah. talking about it and understanding it and, you know, it was like six months, 12 months probably for me to really go, okay, I'm not bitter anymore. I just, I want to be a part of it again. Um, but yeah, I ha it did take time and people forget that. They think that you can just fix things like that. And yeah. I had to look at myself. I, I probably wasn't fit enough. I probably needed to change my game and you need that to, to tell you. Or well, you need that to teach you really. Become I think the, yeah. The other thing is about solutions. Do you think you've got solutions? That's the way the cookie crumbles, not a solution. Yeah. So I can take your point around that, but we talk about it all the time because a lot of sport, particularly that gets covered in the media, is about the suspension. Stevie J got suspended and Luke yeah. Hodge got suspended or someone got. But so much about it is a solution, wrapping your arms around the player. Did you feel like you got enough support and do you feel like you were able to identify your weakness quickly enough and work on them? Oh, mm, yes and no. Definitely from the other players with the Aussie team. I also didn't want to be a burden on them and be no. like, they were heading off to the Com Games to yeah. try and win a gold medal. So I was like, also, I didn't want to be in yeah, their yeah, faces. Yeah. But definitely from my Melbourne team, I got that. Yeah. And from my coach of my Melbourne team, who was um, Lisa Alexander now, or at that time, um, and from Joyce Brown, who was my old coach and that mentor back in yeah, the day, yeah. like, she knew me so well that she would, the first day I remember she ringing me going, okay, you okay? The next day it was like, what do you think you could have done yeah, better? Yeah, and then the next day yeah. it was like, right, I'm gonna meet you at the court at 6 a.m. Yeah, at yeah. Xavier College and I'm gonna take you through some footwork. And yeah. so she just, people that know you really well mm. know then how to get the best out of yeah. you. And you know, sometimes it's like you, your parents aren't the right people to be around necessarily yeah, yeah, yeah. because they're going to go, oh, you should yeah. be in there. Yeah. And you're like, well, you know, <laughs> of course you think that. <laughs> but you need people to be honest and to give you a bit of a truth about what was happening and why. And yeah, and that's ultimately how you get back on track earlier, I think. And you've had a great career. I mean, some of the things you've articulated has, has been amazing. What, what about translating that into the corporate world you do now? You run programs, you do corporate speaking. Uh, keynotes, et cetera, et cetera. What, what have you learned from sport? I mean, most of it transitions, but yeah. what are the main things you try and get across to your corporate clients? Well, I think for me, it's the, all about the leadership side of things mm. of sport. Um, we have a unique time when you're part of a team and you learn a lot, probably way ahead of the, your years, how to communicate with each other, yeah. um, 
also how to take on that feedback. If anything, yeah. athletes are so driven now to, I just want the negative feedback. You know, yes, tell me how good I am, but mm. give me the stuff mm. that I can action and that I can actually do. Mm. And, you know, we're so solution focused. Mm. Um, and I think that's what, when, you, when you're standing in front of a, a team of business people who, you know, they might not have as much time as what we get to spend together as a team, you know, the fun side of things as well. But you've got this unique time where you can easily get to know somebody in a way that's not just what you do for work with each other. So for me, I think the relationship building is a really Mm. crucial part. Um, And then once you can build that relationship, then you can communicate in different ways to support and help and, you know, problem solve with each other. Um, And I think also the the, and it's a bit of a buzzword, but being able to show your vulnerabilities yeah. too. Yeah. Like as a leader in a sporting team, you don't have all the answers. You're not going to play 100% perfectly ever. Like, you know, you, you are constantly learning and having to evolve. And that's exactly like a leader or a manager or anyone in a workplace that that's really important. I think that you're constantly evolving and adapting and, and, you, and you do it together. You don't have to do it on your own. And some of the, the best leaders, either some you've read about or obviously yeah. been coached by some great, great coaches. What yeah. are some of the best leaders and, and you've t- articulated some of those attributes, but the best leaders and, and what they gave you? Yeah. Um, so definitely some of those Melbourne Phoenix girls for sure have been great leaders for me. But other leaders, when I think about um, in the, I, once I've retired from sport and in, in other worlds, are just people that will that truly want to know you for you. Mm. And and it's not about, oh, you got to play for Australia, whatever, you know, let's talk about netball. It's like, no, what do you actually want to do? Mm. And, and what are you going to get out of your life now? And are conscious of that transition phase that you go through too and knowing that I'm, you know, you've been such a high performer, what are you going to do next? So, you know, I've had some, Craig Harper is a person I've always gone to because he's been super honest with me and, and he does a lot of, you know, this kind of leadership stuff as well. But um, he's always super honest. He'll yeah. tell me to pull my head in if I'm mm. getting over the top or he'll tell me to go and do something outrageous because I'm being too safe or, um, yeah, I just like people that are going to be honest with me. But also, you know, we all, I think, value the import of how great it is when you feel empowered. Yep. So hanging around people that empower you, that lift you up, that give you that energy that really helps you keep going because we can't, again, do it on our own. So, yeah, I'm, I love surrounding myself with people with, lots of good energy. So creating empowerment is interesting because it's a little bit of a buzzword. It's a bit like vulnerability. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? How, how do you create an empowered environment, do you think? So what, what, what goes to making it okay for people to feel safe enough to make decisions? Well, I think it's getting to know people, actually getting to know people mm. really, like to their core. How do they operate? What makes them feel unsafe or not supported? Or when do you see them look down because they're not sure of the answer? Like actually knowing what it is and knowing in those moments, they're not the time to pull them up on something. You know, Mm. that's not a time to make them feel even more uncomfortable. Mm. But when you know the little unique quirkiness, quirky things about all you, whoever you're managing as a team, I think that's when you can start having conversations with them that then start empowering them because you know how to lift them up. And you, and you, I think you've provide, you've got to provide a space where you're both, um, feel comfortable about being honest and that's giving a lot of yourself too. Yep. I think a lot of leaders try and be like, oh, I've got this really safe, secure bubble around me and I'm not going to let anyone in to know that, you know, I've had a bad weekend or I've been struggling mm. or I'm not really sure what to do next. Um, 
So you know, you've got to give yourself just as much as they've got to give a little bit of themselves as well. And I, I remember the first time we met, and um, I remember you talking about on court and those moments where you were looking at each other, knowing that someone was a bit vulnerable yeah. on court, and then signalling to you and you having a trigger for them. Yeah. And I, I thought, hey, Bianca really understands this. Yeah. Because, because it's it's a a dialogue, but it's also, it's almost an understanding and a system that allows people to look after each other. Yes, and sometimes that is as simple as just eye contact, yeah. isn't it? And yeah. I think the story I was telling you is that there was one player and, and sometimes coaches, they have players in their like, <laughs> eye and they're like, hey, <laughs> and you know that they're at training, the coach is just focusing on them yeah. and just being hard to like, try and get them to smile or relax yeah. or just, you know, because you know them well enough and you know that they're under the pump and you know you wouldn't want to be them under the pump either. So, <laughs> you know, moment. you just, those little quirky things. And quite yeah. often that happens and people wouldn't realise because you've got all the cameras and you can see the game from that point of view, but they don't realise all these little mm. things are going on on yeah. the field or the on the court. We're mucking around, we're saying silly things to each other to get us out of our own heads and get us back into the game. and. Um, yeah, that's the stuff you've got to learn about your team when you talk about it from a corporate environment. And um, mm. it's pretty important, pretty valuable when you find can it. I, can I just jump back to you've been dropped from the team. Mm. You've gone away. You've done some work. You got back in. That must have been pretty exciting to get back in. And yeah. then and then, you, then did you work harder to stay there having been through the experience of being dropped? Yeah, and I, so I was mainly a goalkeeper at this stage in my first part of the, my Aussie career. Got dropped, started to realise, believe it or not, I was getting too short to be in a goalkeeper position. Mm. Plus I was getting older, so being able to <laughs> jump high was getting harder. Um, so then I started to see more opportunity to try and get back into that team was more at a goal defence position. So it was about me. I think I spent 18 months where I was like, right, <laughs> get fitter, get faster, change your game. And actually, I really enjoyed that because it was sometimes, now I was thinking about different opposition players. I wasn't preparing to play on the same players every single week. Yep. I got to prepare for different ones. And this was just in our um, like national competition. And so once I finally got myself back into the Aussie team, we had a new coach there. And I just had this inner belief in myself where I remember Lisa Alexander sitting me down as she'd taken the coach's job. And we have a squad of 25 with the Diamonds and you pick a team of 12. And she said to me, you know, I want you to be in the squad. Um, and, and I would never have said this beforehand, but I always said, okay, but as I'm happy to give you everything that I've got. I don't want you to promise me that you're going to pick me in the team, but don't just have me in there mm. as a number filler. Yeah. Like yeah. if you're using me just as an older player to fill up mm. numbers to try and help these young girls, but you're never going to pick me back in the team, then I'm happy to just walk away and say, I've done enough for Australia now. Mm. And she didn't. She was honest. And I thought, oh, wow, the value of having a really honest conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, then I went on to be in the leadership group with her and we had a really good, strong relationship because of our honesty. Yeah. I was never brave enough to do that in my first part of my Aussie career. Yeah. I was always a bit too scared to face a coach or have a conversation because I was worried about the result or the outcome or what they were going to tell me. So then I just toughened up and <laughs> got a bit braver. And I that's when the leadership really, um, I became so passionate about it because I played so much better. Like my last, second mm. half was so much better because I was not thinking about myself anymore. Yep. I got really proud of seeing these young girls do amazing things that you'd been seeing them practice and they hadn't been able to do. And 
you know, and then in 2014 when I won a premiership with Vixen. So that year we won the premiership with yeah. the Vixens. We won a gold medal at Com Games in Glasgow. And I was the senior, probably the oldest member of both of those teams. And that was what I loved the most. It was not about me actually getting it. It was yeah. about these young girls experiencing it for the first time. And then I was like, oh, that's what it's all about. <laughs> it's interesting. I always say this. It'd be great if you could coach before you could play. Yeah, right. Because you'd have so much greater perspective on what the team was like. And Stewie Maxfield was my first captain at Sydney. And he did. He got to coach for 10 weeks. I took the job at the back end of 2002 and he was injured. So he took my position. And there's no doubt that it lent itself to him having that experience that you're talking about. He literally did have the experience. So when he started as captain, it's super invaluable. But I want to, I mean, listening to you, it's fantastic because the values and the things you talk about and the experience, you're so fortunate to have had mm. that experience. And we probably don't realise until a little bit out of the game. Yeah. You, you feel like you, when you were in it, you didn't realise how lucky you were to be associated with these great players and great mentors and great people. And it wasn't until you sort of got out of it, you probably realised how lucky you were. Yeah, oh, 100%. And even to the point, even the coaches or you know, the players that challenged you the most, they're the ones that you look back now. Mm. And I used to, you know, especially the Aussie coach that dropped me, (laughs) I used to always be (laughs) like, oh, can't believe you did that. But I look back on her now and I'm like, oh, wow, you really made me stop Mm. in my tracks and actually learn something about myself. And you appreciate that a lot more. And I mean, this is a bit of a funny story, but doing a reality TV show like The Block, I did it with one of my best mates, Carla, and she was also a netballer. And the two of us, went onto that show not even realising, we both retired, but we, we knew the value of being in a team, we knew the value of having honest conversations. So we would sit down with each other and go, okay, so what's gonna make you uncomfortable? I'll try and like mm. put a bit of a screen up to protect you and then we'll talk about it off camera. And so we had a big game plan, <laughs> which <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, reality TV doesn't want you to have a game plan <laughs> at all. But you know, they would send in Keith and Dan, who were the foremans on the show, to like yell at you and scream at you and make you uncomfortable because I think the producers behind the scenes were like, great, we've got two girls here, no yeah. trade experience. Mm. We're gonna get them to break down. We're gonna get tears, you know, we're gonna get all the emotions, which is what we want on camera. Except they what they didn't realise was as athletes, you you know how to problem solve, you know how to cop the negativity. Yeah. Don't show your emotions, just work out a way forward, find a solution, all of that stuff. And that was my one of my favourite kind of moments where it all just went, oh, wow, like we have actually learnt a lot <laughs> We are on tough, this. we are resilient. Yes, and these everyday people that don't get to experience what we've experienced, you know, how do they learn that? Like, It's a great story because I don't know whether you know, my son was on Amazing Race. Yeah. And he said exactly the same thing. Like he went on with Tom Wilkinson, who was a buddy from the Sandy Dragons. They played footy together. And everything you're talking about was exactly what he said. Yeah. He said they were, they were sort of there and they were hoping they were going to be, you know, they were going to position them as the arrogant two footballers, you know, that didn't care about anyone else. And it was all about helping other people, being part of a team, letting, you know, yeah. get giving people clues and all that sort of stuff. And it's because they'd had that experience. It, it, it's, it's just a incredibly, and we talk about a lot at, at Sydney and, and you touched on it before, is we don't just talk about them being footballers. It's about life. Yeah. That's what sport is, effectively. Yeah. yeah. And you're right with, with that, with your son's experience too, because the more you put yourself in those environments and that you're challenged, you also realise that you have this unbelievable self-belief. Mm. And again, not arrogance, but mm. this 
confidence that you know you'll find a way out. No matter mm. how hard or tough a situation you're in, you know that you'll either find a way out or find someone that will help you find a way out. And that helps you in every single part of your life. Yeah, a fantastic conversation. Murph, you want the last question oh, again? You know I've got to have the last I know word. You've got to <laughs> always got to have the last word. Um, what advice would you give a young Oh, um, for me, not to compare myself to others all the mm. time. Oh, okay, great. I spent a lot of time mm. watching other people in my position, might have been my competitiveness, where I'd be like, oh, I need to look like you, I need to be able to jump as high as you, you know, rather than embrace probably yeah. what were my strengths, yeah. I was too busy going, hey, mm. I need all of this and how am I going to make that work when I try and get to all of it. So to be yourself. Yeah, I finally learnt the value of yeah, being yourself and just owning it. And yeah see what you can do with that. Fantastic. I think it's a great message for leaders as well. I think we you touched on it earlier on. We tend to be overly critical of each other. Great leaders work on people's strengths. Yeah. And if and putting a great team together is about what you can do and what Murph can do and then we find out a way and Murph, you're going to compliment Bianca, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's a really good point. Mm. Work on people's strengths, help people with unbelievable messages, incredible messages from sport, but clearly translatable into what you're doing at the moment. Fantastic to have you on the Culture Couch. Well done again to you, Murph. Very Thanks, good mate. today. We'll see you <laughs> next time. Thanks for having me.